Welcome to the Mojo Mecca. We are a media, wellness and artistry hub that is in celebration of the earth. Inspired to live in a mindful, health-filled way. Humbled by the depths of inner exploration and the power of practicing daily ritual. In love with the beauty of cultures worldwide and the adventurous nature of travel and dedicated to a life of heart-centeredness, purposeful pursuits, and a whole lot of mojo. In this very potent conversation, I'm speaking with a really beautiful woman, mother, incredible practitioner by the name of Mimi Young. She's a practitioner of core shamanic and wu, which is Chinese animism and occultic arts. Um, And she's also the founder of a beautiful brand called Ceremony with an IE, which is an esoteric brand focusing on in-person and online shamanic education, remote shamanic readings and dream interpretations and healing plant potions for the skin and for the aura. Mimi's practice weaves spirit travel, past life work, divination, dream work, shadow work, and ancestral connection. She's also a neurofeedback practitioner. In this conversation, we speak about her ever-present gifts in communicating with the non-human world of elements, plants, animals, stones, ancestors, and much more. And she really provides so much insight into that connection and um, moving away from, I guess, a very human-centric lens and um, mindset. (laughs) Um, And I found that all really fascinating. We dive into how she facilitates her shamanic readings. Um, We speak a lot about the potency of this year, 2020, and what has been going on. and and also just speaking about the opportunities that we have in this year for growth, for more humbling, um, and just for the opportunity to hear one another in a deeper way. There's a lot more we speak about, but I will let you experience it and absorb all of her good medicine yourself. Enjoy. So my name is Mimi Young. I am Chinese Taiwanese and I am also Canadian. I reside in uh, Vancouver or what is known as the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh and Squamish peoples. And I have been an animist for all of my life. Um, one of my earliest memories, uh, you know, close to just like, you know, shortly after I acquired, you know, verbal speech, uh, one of my earliest memories is to speak with plants. And my friends were vegetables and fruit and trees, and, um, and I had names for them, and you know, they had cute little pet names for me. And throughout my life as I grew up, I, you know, retained some of that, and I also sort of suppressed some of that, just given the kind of a society we live in where magic really is not embraced and is constantly doubted. Um, but in my you know 20s and then eventually of course full-blown in 30s, 
I went back to reclaim a lot of that, um, primarily through uh, one pivotal moment where I was on uh, bed rest for five and a half months while pregnant with my second child. Um, I had you know, not necessarily sought to arrive in a spirit world, but through a deep meditation, I found myself there speaking with uh, spirit allies that had provided some really big answers to some very big questions that I had. And it provided essentially some direction and some insight, uh, much of which I knew about but didn't really know it in, entirely. And this is in the context of family and sort of circle of friends and so forth. And the messages that they gave me were, were healing. Um, so yeah, that's been, you know, the, like I'm in my early 40s now. And you know, my work really is about connection and it's about connection pr primarily with the unseen so that we can improve our connection with the scene. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, and I would love to kind of flow into, um, obviously your project brand, um, extension of you <laughs> ceremony and, and how that came to be. Um, yeah, and then obviously there's a lot of different offerings within it, but I'd love to hear about, I love to hear about the origin stories of, of people's, businesses especially when they they feel like like yours does uh, a real like I said an extension of you um so yeah I'd love to hear about that and and the name too and how it all kind of initiated mm, yeah and, and the name for sure there's a story around that as well um so the business started off as a a healing plants product offering um so I uh was really intuitively led to formulate recipes and to start experimenting with various skincare and body care, but most importantly, aura care. I felt uh, that when I work with plants in a very specific way, um, and I'm, I'm in trance, in, in shamanic trance, when um, I'm working with them and I, I hear them and, and they provide uh, instruction on how the formulation should go and I should also mention that I do have uh, a training in aromatic applications for skin as well so it's sort of that sheet of paper kind of human stuff that humans sometimes really care about um, but yeah on the intuitive side which is really what I'm interested in in that plant spirit healing side yeah so I was I was really directed to begin making formulations primarily for myself and for the benefit of those within my family um, and because at the time I was still breastfeeding I was just really interested in working with um, the most purest of products um, and a lot of it wasn't really what I was looking for. Um, and uh, just because something is, is, you know, all natural doesn't mean that it's formulated in a way that is really always uh, serving one's um, physical and emotional and etheric constitution. And so I just naturally felt like, yeah, this is the time to do it. So it really didn't start off as a thinking that um, you know, there's like, a, like a, you know, a void in the market to fill. It really wasn't a business thing. It was more of a heart thing. And so I started doing that. And then um, some, some friends really noticed, uh, you know, how like they, they would comment and say things like, oh, Mimi, you, you feel so good to be around, like more so than ever. Like, you know, what are the changes? And 
So I just naturally started sharing. Um, and then uh, pretty soon, uh, you know, I was, I was being requested to, to, you know, fulfill orders for them. And in the beginning I was just, no, no, this is not a business. This is like, I really want to just do this out of love. And then, and then later on I was like, well, why can't business also be out of love too? That's essentially what began it. And then over time, I noticed that uh, my real like passion, even beyond making, is education. And that seems to be the archetype that I most naturally fill is you know the archetype of, of facilitator or the archetype of, of teacher. Um, and it's what lights me up. And it seems to be what people really enjoy. Um, and so yeah, so if anything, ceremony as a uh, as a business has really grown in, in those aspects. And then the name. So when I first started, my business was actually called Trimaran Botanicals. And it's called Trimaran because that's the, uh, one of the major streets that are in my little quiet, sleepy neighborhood. And I am terrible at thinking names. And so I was just like, okay, this is the name because that's the name of the street that I'm on. And <laughs> so that it was just like an easy default name. Little did I know that they're actually within Canada, there's already another trimer and botanicals. So I had to go through a legal name change for the business because it was, uh, it was a different province. So, you know, within BC, where I'm in, um, I can operate at this trimer, but um, outside of British Columbia, I couldn't. And so I wound up having to, to change the name. And because, like I said, I'm, I'm not great at naming things, um, I wound up just casting a spell and I, uh, it was a dream spell and I asked my uh, spirit guides to tell me what the name should be in a dream. And the next morning, um, I actually don't really recall having a dream, but the very first word that came out of my mouth was the word ceremony. And then I knew instantly that was the name. Beautiful. And the, the change of spelling, how did that come about too? Yeah, it was just like I said it and then I saw it and that was how I saw it. And so I thought, okay, like done. <laughs> yeah, I love, I love that. And it's, it's a similar kind of way that um, my name came through, but it was also, I was doing a, um, which is interesting because it's similar to what, I, I, I'm guessing it's similar to what you do. Uh, I was doing like a shamanic training, um, obviously not with any, like plant medicine or anything like that it was more like learning how to journey out of the body using, well, they use primarily um, the drum beat um, mm -hmm. to kind of get us into that, um, you know, into that space where it was easier for us and like sh showed us kind of the visuals of how we could journey up and out of our body to, to meet guides and to um, yeah, receive messages and also to, yeah, have, guides or power animals help us um in performing kind of like energetic healings and clearings for people in the physical so um yeah it's interesting that we're kind of yeah aligned in that sort of way because yeah the the name the mojo mecca well it was more of an energetic feeling that i knew that there was a project waiting for me in the ethers to <laughs> to bring down this was in like 2014 or something and i was 19 <laughs> um and and yeah and then uh kind of only six months later than that um it all kind of crystallized in the physical and and the name came through fully and um it began but yeah so i definitely resonate with that um coming in that shamanic dream world <laughs> 
Yeah. yeah it's, it's amazing how much can come through when you get out of your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm personally really curious um, about at, at the basic level, like what does shamanism mean to you and, and how do you practice that? Well, I would say that shamanism would fit under the umbrella of animism, right? So animism being relating with uh, all forms of life um, as intelligent. And when I say all forms of life, of course, that includes, uh, like I'm really now referencing beyond the human, um, but into a plant and animal, but then also other things that maybe at least within science is not really seen as alive. So, you know, rocks and um, wind and fire and all these other elements that are, uh, that has its own energy. And then within shamanism, so it's, you know, it's looking, relating with the world through that context. Uh, but within shamanism, it's this act of entering into that altered state of consciousness. And it's like what you brought up, it may not um, involve consuming uh, psycho psych uh, psychotropic substances. So in my practice, I do not touch those things. Um, not because I'm against, it's just that's not what I've been called to do. Um, and you enter through that, uh, you know, into that altered state of consciousness via um, many different practices. So it could include the plants that I've mentioned earlier, but it could be through drum or rattling or through, you know, an enhancement of breath or through uh, ecstasy in some other way. Um, and then once you get there, you do, yeah, you, you leave the, the body and you travel to this other place, to this spirit world. Um, and typically it's, you know, not really for a joy ride. It's typically to learn and to heal and to bring messages back to those around us. I know probably a lot of people who would be listening to this would be probably quite curious um, in, or perhaps even a bit, a bit fearful, you know, because it's mm. obviously it's a realm other than what we're used to in this third right. dimensional. Um, but obviously it's, it's, this kind of movement and this um, knowledge is being kind of, I, I feel it's kind of coming full circle again. And, and our generation is really like open and, and willing to kind of um, traverse those realms. And um, yeah, so how would you, I guess in, in a simple way, uh, encourage people if they would like to kind of, to open up to, to those spaces or to, um, having some of those experiences, what are some like um, simple things that people could could do to begin to kind of open up um, perhaps that ability? Love that question. Um, I feel that there's sort of two um, aspects that one uh, needs to consider when opening up. I think the first one would be like a dramatic shift in paradigm because so we've most of us have been taught the belief that humans exist um, at the center of the universe and everything else is around to reinforce human existence. So one example would be, I'm just going to provide an example, just to show sort of just how ingrained humans tend to be about this. 
is with COVID. Um, you know, I've definitely seen, you know, circulating on social media, uh, various theories of why COVID is happening. Um, you know, COVID is perhaps an invitation for people to wake up or COVID is, you know, Mother Earth's way to punish us for, you know, the, the wrongs we've done and blah, blah, blah. There's like all these different theories. But my interpretation of COVID is it's because the virus is. It simply is. Uh, and I really do trust that the virus would exist whether humans were on Earth or not is nothing to do with humans is everything to do with the existence of the virus and i say this because when we make the assumption that things happen for us we center ourselves and that is actually the antithesis of relating um, with the world in that animistic shamanic way uh, one thing if i really learned from you know, my ancestors, when I speak with them or with other uh, spirit guides, is that we are not the center. Um, and the problems that we find ourselves in is because we think we are. And that could be the problems with us and the environment or even human to human problems. Um, and so, yeah, so I would say that the first thing is to uh, dis in or to start dismantling that belief and start disengaging and stop feeding into that belief that humans are the center. Um, and then the other piece uh, is once that has, you know, started to take place, that act of dismantling is to really start seeing the intelligence in the world around us that's non-human, um, the intelligence of plants, uh, the intelligence of the seasons and the cycles, the intelligence uh, of our bodies, not our rational minds, but our actual physical bodies, you know, the intelligence of uh, a person's um, menstrual cycle, like so, so sacred and so intelligent. And I feel that when that, uh, you know, when, when that practice is really cultivated, um, it allows us to be able to tune in and allows us to begin hearing things, actually hearing and actually listening. Um, and actually interpreting it in the way that those uh, elements within Earth are wanting us to interpret. Mm, yeah, it's, it's so true. And um, yeah, it definitely requires a process of, of slowing down and, and listening more and, and just being more, I think, too. And uh, yeah, more time alone in nature is always helpful. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, absolutely. And it's, it's actually, uh, you know, in reference to kind of what you said about COVID, that there is, you know, even though it may seem chaotic or whatever, there is, there is a, a kind of a slowing down and a quietening um, that everyone is having the opportunity to do, you know. So perhaps this is, um, you know, a good time to, to really hone in on, on these, like, more slow, quiet, listening, watching, meditative sort of spaces. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Cool. Absolutely. I love how you say the word spaces. I just want to like savor that word a little longer if, if we can. For me, one thing that's really been showing up um, since COVID is the invitation to notice uh, the quote unquote negative space. So what I mean by negative space is let's say uh, you know, in, in a drawing, um, and there's a figure in the center of the drawing, we tend to think that 
figure is is the it's occupying space so it, it now is positive space but what about everything between that figure and the background maybe there's a tree in the background so what about that space between the tree and the figure that that space in between is still there um that negative space so to speak but but it's that negative space is so required so that there is a differentiate like a differentiation between the tree and that figure um, more so in the foreground and so a lot of times and this is really Taoist is this idea that what is said is just as important as what is unsaid and what is unsaid is just as important as what is said and the unsaid is really occupying that negative space but um, when we're in that fast 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 uh, or product high productivity mindset um, we don't notice the spaces we don't notice uh, the negative spaces and that 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 pause or that uh, unknown in between yeah that's beautiful this time even though it has been beautiful to slow down it hasn't come without resistance to that you know <laughs> mm, yeah to, to going into those spaces and i mean i even find it before i do you know these sort of like in-depth conversations and things like this for for my project there is always that that resistance there um but then when you're in it when you've actually like got jumped on there you're there you're present um so much magic can can and does arise from that time so it's more like just meeting that resistance and then you know entering <laughs> um regardless so that's that's definitely been a big teaching for me like the the resistance is always going to be there but it doesn't mean you shouldn't shouldn't do something or shouldn't enter those sort of quieter spaces or whatever it is or those you know opportunities or moments where um where things could open up and um be a whole lot more <laughs> magic mm -hmm. or, um potent than than you were before um yeah 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 i find sometimes these resistance uh those like not every time but many times when we have those bits of resistance it's essentially uh the shadow um inviting us in but the ego is saying oh no like i, I need control or i need things to to be a certain way um and yeah but once you kind of step through that threshold it's like oh yeah like i like i've just entered into once again more space like more more like a sense of liberation um and yeah it's totally where magic can be found yeah and so yeah i would love to hear kind of i guess with that similar sort of theme when people come to you for for sessions and things like i don't know do you feel like i feel like sometimes people when they're coming to practitioners really like expect the world you know like expect mm. you know, full-on answers to you know the full downloads to everything that they want to hear and i'd love to hear about like how you navigate that and how you navigate like bringing through things for people and and maybe some things that you see that maybe they aren't ready or like the message is not to share them to that person mm. at that point in time because i i i definitely feel like that that would be a, a process for for practitioners like such as you so um yeah i'd love to hear about at that and um and also yeah what what sort of process you go through when you work with people 
You know, you're the only person has ever asked me that question. And it's such an important question. It really is. It's valid and it's, you know, opens up a whole range of uh, responsibility, of course, you know, involved um, with this type of work. So one thing I've done that has been paramount is I created a terms of service, uh, which is, you know, it can be found on my website. And there I kind of, I have like a sort of a, a like I have two types of terms of service. One can be found um, sort of at the bottom of my website and it's uh, probably, you know, a very standard uh, terms um, in legal jargon and, you know, the, the usual stuff. Um, but then I created a different one that is designed to explain things in plain English from a values-based perspective. So when, let's say someone wants to sign up as an initiate in my mystery mentorship program, they are required to read it and to consent to it. And there, like I, I'm pretty clear on what I can do and what I cannot do. And if you choose to engage with me, these are the expectations on, on your end. So, you know, some of the things, it ranges, right? There'll be things like, I can't do your work. I don't have your answers. All I can do is provide a container where you can begin doing that work. Um, I can provide uh, information that spirit guides have shared and I also have a relationship with spirit guides and the relationship I have with them is don't tell me anything that that client is not ready to hear because it won't be constructive. And they know that. And, and generally, really, they, they know that. And that's why they, they referring to the spirit guides won't share anything with me that um, the, the client is not ready to hear. They may not, the client may not be thrilled to hear it, but I would say um, between how the spirit um, delivers the message to me and then me reading the client's aura, um, I get a sense of how to best uh, package that information where it would be most uh, or as, as best received as possible. Not because I sugarcoat, but because I do think sometimes delivery does help. You know, how you deliver something um, and the kind of words you choose, it can, not always, but it can help. So yeah, so essentially either they would have to read it, you know, I have some pretty clear non-negotiables about, for instance, you know, diversity and inclusion. Um, I have some pretty uh, clear non-negotiables about appropriation and bypassing. Um, and they know. And essentially, if, uh, um, you know, if, if, they, if they read that and they feel triggered, then generally, um, they, you know, if that's the case, then I just invite them to ask themselves to go in that internal inquiry and be like, okay, why am I being triggered? Um, is it because this is scary? Because someone's holding space for me in a really dynamically different and grander way? Um, or is it because I'm just not ready? And, and I, I think that's perfectly valid for someone to say, well, you know, I'm not meant to work with you, you know, referring to me, of course. Um, and, and that's okay. And, and so for the most part, by, by me having that values piece there and me asking uh, clients uh, to, to read that and to agree to it, uh, that has largely um, helped uh, everyone um, to be on the same page. Yeah, I think it's so important because I think a lot of practitioners probably haven't done that diligence in that sort of realm and, and perhaps don't make that as, as clear for, um, yeah, for, for clients going in there or 
maybe there are these huge claims made that that their work will do x y and z for them and you know mm -hmm. um, because obviously it's like yeah. kind of a marketing tactic too right like and yes yeah out there and <laughs> you know a lot of competition not a competition but because everyone has their own unique you know process and and offerings and everything but um yeah it's just it's an interesting well like i just see more and more obviously online um you know everyone's offerings and things like that and i'm, I'm sure for people it can be quite confusing um of you know what things they feel called to engage in and not and um, especially within kind of, uh, you know, spiritual, that sort of world, um, especially if you haven't had that much kind of experience in that, in that world, but you're curious to it. And mm. how would you, I guess, kind of, I would love to hear how your sessions or your work kind of goes. I mean, I, I'd love to, I'm just curious about the process that, that you go through when you, when you're working with someone. Um, yeah, so the one-on-one are uh, remote shamanic readings. So I travel uh, to the spirit rounds on behalf of the client to discover their guides, um, to befriend their guides, and then to ask whatever question the client uh, has asked me to, to ask on their behalf. And um, yeah, so I go there, I meet with them. Um, they generally show me visions or speak with me in a way where uh, like a human at a human level so that it can be then further uh, interpreted and shared to the client and then after I return from uh, the actual traveling um, the client and I jump on a zoom call and uh, and then yeah for that 60 minutes it's totally the you know belongs to the client I share uh, everything that was shared with me from uh, the journey itself and uh, I provide interpretation and you know depending on where the client wants to take the conversation we can dive deeper in the symbolism of what showed up or um, or in any other direction that uh, the conversation leads but typically uh, the remote shamanic reading will include me traveling of course which is done uh, right before the call so when they book they would say you know I would like let's say on a Thursday at 1 p.m., then I know that at noon I'm, I'm doing the traveling already. And then at one, we, we jump on the call, our client and myself. And so I provide all the details of what actually was shared and then I interpret. And then sometimes maybe there's homework that comes up, uh, things that practices, uh, some of them are practical practices. I mean, technically they're all practical, but I mean sort of uh, what is seen as not as spiritual and then other things um, are, are, you know, deeper spiritual practices. Um, but all of it is practical because all of it is relevant for the client and will be effective in helping them uh, experience what it is that they're hoping to experience. So be it if it's, uh, you know, emotional um, peace or if uh, they're wanting direction um, about their career or if they're uh, wanting to, um, <clears throat> Uh, reconnect with uh, you know their their family lines or whatever it may be um, and it really ranges um, I, I do discuss a little bit more in detail on my website sort of what the typical topics um, that I, I tend to uh, engage in for for clients yeah and then at the end um, I usually provide like a ritual as well um, oftentimes ritual uh, would be related 
uh, to specific plants that may function as um, helpers and supportive, uh, you know, allies for the for the client uh, in regards to that specific question or theme that they wanted me to explore. And then, yeah, and at the end, of course, you know, I provide the the, re the like the recording so they can keep it and refer to, um, you know, as they need later on. And I have clients that have said, yeah, like. It's been two years, been three years, and when I listen to that recording, I still learn. I, there's still something new that has come through, and and that's when you know that this is it's it's not static. Like these are meant to be living and evolving messages from the spirit realms, and it's just it's difficult to explain in human language because human language is so limiting sometimes. But yeah, uh, generally it's very uplifting um, and very healing. Beautiful, yeah. I was just kind of following along that, <laughs> that process in my mind as you were speaking. It sounds really powerful. I would love to kind of explore a little bit about how, how I guess, from that offering you, you developed the, the mentorship and, and what that entails too. Yeah, so the Mystery Mentorship is a 16-month-long program. We uh, started it back in May of this year, and it's divided into five modules. Uh, the modules relate to elements that are found in the West, but also elements that are found in the East, uh, East relating to my own specific uh, Chinese-Taiwanese um, lineage. And, um, and yeah, and, and clients can choose to enroll in uh, any of the modules that uh, we haven't begun just yet. So we're, we're just starting to wrap up the first module, the earth module. Um, and we'll be looking to begin the air module shortly uh, in, uh, in September. Um, or they can of course enroll in the whole thing. Now, this is really, it's been like something that I've been carrying in my heart for some time. Uh, clients have been asking for it. And, um, and yeah, this is the year that it was birthed. So it's an integration. Um, by enrolling in this mentorship, you get access uh, to, you know, weekly lessons that uh, intersect multiple uh, practices. So the practice of core shamanism, the practice of uh, uh, necromancy, which is this uh, practice of relating with the dead, and in my case, um, specifically with ancestors, uh, the practice of magic, and, and I come from the tradition of chaos magic, so not Wiccan, um, but chaos magic is really referring to uh, one that is very individualized and one uh, using um, uh, chi or you know life force as a conduit. Uh, for all things um, to, to, to potentially be and, and really working with both the yin and the yang energy. So the yin energy of potential um, and, and when, when I refer to potential, I mean sort of vacancy and restoration, but also generative potential and then yang, which is what's already materialized or, um, have, you know, is partially begun to materialize. Um, and then, yeah, we talk a lot about plant spirit healing um, and about dreams. And it, it really is sort of a way for me to talk about my personal practice that is much deeper and much broader than the 
uh, courses that I offer because my courses are thematic, right? You want to learn about shamanism and tea? This is what you take. If you want to learn about how to journey to the, you know, the spirit world, this is the course you take. If you want to talk about past lives and healing past lives? That's the one you take. If you want to talk about healing your relationship with food energetically? That's the course you take. But this mentorship program encompasses it all. And so they get access to the weekly content. They get access to special rates, um, working with me one-on-one, -on -one, and then they also get access to electives, which are all those courses I just mentioned, for free. Um, and in this way, they also get access to community. And it's, it's amazing how you know, there is this global group of beautiful people that absolutely adore the craft of magic and absolutely adore each other and where they can show up in a way that maybe they haven't been able to before in their, uh, in their specific circumstance. Because many of us are still to a certain degree in the witch's, you know, broom's closet. We're, we're not always like cool with showing up totally witchy, but this space, um, I really make sure that everyone can. And then on top of it, I make it really clear that they're the ones that are doing the work. I can't do the work for them. I can't feed them. They're the ones, and I'm here to encourage them and help them see their own power so that at the end they surprise themselves. And you know, we've only done this, if you can believe it, for 11 weeks. And yet, every single person in the program has already said how much they've changed. And they're like, how on earth did I transform so much? And it's only been, you know, like it's been under three months. And, um, and I know it's because the intention had been held and because I refuse to take ownership of things that they have to take ownership of. Um, and I refuse to be the guru because I'm not, uh, you know, like I'm still figuring my own stuff out. Like I, I don't, I really don't know much at all um, or anything. Um, so it's just a way to help them reclaim their power and to remember. And when I say remember, I'm spelling it out as re hyphen member so it's this idea of we've dismembered we've cut off aspects of ourselves um and and, and this is in, as individuals in our own individual lives but even from a cellular perspective cellular memory perspective of our of our ancestors they've also particularly women have had to cut off aspects of who they are um, and now we're in this mess that we're in, right? That patriarchy has created. So the act of remembering is to reintegrate the parts we've cut off. It's, it's looking at the dismemberment and then reattaching. So that remembering. Um, and yeah, I think it's been a pretty wild ride for many, um, but also one that's been incredibly powerful and healing. Yeah, wow. I, I definitely feel that there is a collective like shift that is is continuing to happen and continuing to ripple out where um yeah, especially women um are feeling that call to, like you say, remember um aspects of yeah, perhaps their ancestral line or that were lost or um squashed along the way. Um and then just for themselves in their own lives to just really bring everything online again, I guess, like, um, mm. so that you can really live, live the life that you were meant to live in a way, um, and do and be <laughs> everything that, that you want to be. Um, so that sounds really amazing. That whole course, like really, really potent. I'm sad that I missed the earth module already. <laughs> well, I do have it. Like, so basically if, 
um, individuals are interested in um, accessing the Earth module, they can. It would be done through the replay, so it wouldn't be live. Mm -hmm. But yes, they absolutely can sign up still for the Earth module, and many have. Um, I would say, you know, as a percentage, roughly 25% of the uh, initiates in the program are late entrance, <clears throat> excuse me, late entrance uh, initiates, and they it, they've been loving it. They, you know, and and it's it's interesting. In the beginning, I was sort of hesitant to offer it that way because I felt that maybe the experience would be a little less because they're not joining in live for you know some of those weeks. Um, but the feedback has been totally the opposite. And so I'm even challenging myself through this process of like, I've made some assumptions, those assumptions are not true. Um, and yeah, and, and I would say that, you know, even just this week alone, I've had a handful of new um, applicants for uh, as late entrance. And, um, and I was just like, really, you, you want to do this? Like we're already 11 weeks in. And they're like, yes, like sign me up. So yeah, um, it, it, it's been pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear about, um, cause obviously you have so many amazing offerings online and it all seems so like beautifully, you know, if I can say like packaged or marketed or, um, or just really beautifully and professionally curated. And I'd love to hear about that process too, because obviously there's, I'm, there's a lot of really beautiful gifted teachers out there, but perhaps they don't have the tools or even the resources to kind of bring it all together and, and kind of put it into, you know, an offering that can be easily accessed, um, you know, globally, obviously you have students globally now doing this online course. And I'd love to hear about that process for you too, um, of really developing um, all of those offerings and um, mm. how that kind of went for you. Right. So um, one of my, uh, five values is radiance. Um, and so, you know, radiance, it does encompass beauty, like aesthetics, but more than that, because it also encompasses something internal. Um, and, and yeah, so my whole life I've been attracted to this concept of radiance. Um, and it may show up as, uh, you know, fresh flowers in my home all the time. Um, I, I don't see it as a luxury. I see it as uh, a necessity um, uh, because it, it offers a vibration and a sense of joy and appreciation for the natural world that is really palpable for me. Um, and uh, yeah, and I've always really just been really sensitive to the environment, how things are arranged, um, you know, in a human space. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, so that's always been important for me, um, from a, uh, you know, training perspective, um, my undergrad is in graphic design. And so I attended art school for a number of years and it was actually my, um, before I switched over to design, I actually spent a few years in printmaking and always just been very visual. And so for me, um, yeah, making original content, uh, making original visual content and art directing that has always been very important and it's been part of the work. Um, and yeah, I know in this sort of age where everyone is just, you know, taking photos off of Pinterest and maybe crediting, maybe not crediting and building their whole feed on that, um, I feel like it's an active way to resist that, that way of appropriating. Um, because um, I really feel that, you know, being able to create original work 
and, um, and not engage in the practice of picking other people's work and using that to compose my feed is really important. Um, and it gives, you know, uh, photographers a chance to collaborate with me and it really is a collaboration. We have a lot of fun. We spend a lot of time and I, you know, I, I invest a sizable budget um, in my business to create those things and it is very time consuming. Um, but for me, it's, there's, I wouldn't do it any other way. Um, a, because yeah, I, I personally have a, a huge problem with taking photos from other feeds, um, especially if that first conversation of consent hasn't even been taken in, because really this has become the norm. You, you know, take a screen cap of someone else's feed and put on yours and you use it to uplift your own. And it's like, oh, well, what about the artist? Like, are we valuing art? Are we really valuing art? No, we're valuing um, saving money um, and centering ourselves over valuing art, which I think is deeply unspiritual. So, so yeah, so for me, um, I recognize I'm really lucky that I have that formal training, but I also really do invest a lot in, in making, um, and I, got a, I get a lot of joy out of it, um, even though it is a lot of work. And, um, and yeah, and, and I hope that, you know, that's another way where I can sort of contribute uh, visually or, you know, aesthetically. Mm, yeah, it's beautiful how, um, yeah, how you did formally study that too. So it's kind of married, um, yeah, perfectly, obviously, with the work that you do now and in, in being able to kind of naturally have those skills behind you and, and that experience behind you to kind of, yeah, weave into these um yeah these offerings because uh yeah for me i haven't formally trained in these things but they tend to come very naturally to me i guess as in yeah you you're such a natural like i've seen your photos my gosh are they ever gorgeous <laughs> but it's interesting what you said because it actually like made me think more i mean i tend to use my my instagram feed for the mojo mecca as a kind of like just a, a curated feed of, you know, poets or an artist that I like, but I, I've just, it has been more of basically just crediting artists and sharing like, yeah, but, but I, it, I tend to kind of use them in a way to, to kind of curate the, you know, the Instagram feed that I share. And um, so it's interesting that you said that because it's an area that I definitely want and need to lean into more is just like mm. creating and curating my own content because I am a photographer too and I you know so is my boyfriend and, and we can create and curate more of our own unique um content um but I guess I've been kind of caught in the phase of of just like reposting other people's things or just being inspired by art and sharing that and um yeah so uh it's interesting because yeah in the moment i was like oh that triggered me but <laughs> oh dear yeah i mean i think this is when it's really helpful to talk about what exactly is sharing yeah and one thing i've noticed there are accounts out there that do a remarkable job at sharing so you know photo journals and other um online publications i think some of them do a really good job and you know they did a good job because a they not only list the artist, but they list the whole team that's involved. They list the stylist, they list the models, and they don't just um, 
list their names, but they actually include their actual accounts. So you can actually find those stylists. You can, you can actually, you know, by, by clicking on those accounts, it takes you there. And then on top, um, because they're professional publications, they've legally already gone through uh, the conversation of intellectual, you know, do we have the permission to circulate these works? Because it is not their own intellectual property. But I will say that, and, and of course, by doing that, the very artists and stylists and models become centered. They become uplifted. What I do think is problematic is when those conversations are not happening and where people almost feel that as long as they're crediting, they're, they've done the right job or they've done a good job. But well, I think for me, there's been instances um, where you know accounts have taken images uh, that are from my feed of my body and then used it to promote their program or whatever on their on their feed but that's my body i didn't give consent and and i i think this is because it's so widely practiced it's just another thing that people have to start asking themselves what are the impacts when i use a photo of someone else's body and maybe, you know, and a lot of times these images of me, I'm in ritual. And then it shows up in another feed. They might not be in ritual. They're using my body on their feed. So there's that sort of double piece. But I think, yeah, it's very important to start talking about these things and kind of knowing the difference between sharing and uplifting and taking. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's an interesting thing because obviously you you've chosen to share that image of yourself online so it's like yes it belongs to you but it's it's still so many people have access to it now and and can do whatever yeah. that, you know and you might not even find out you know who's saved it oh, who's totally exactly and i think most of the time i don't find out and 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 i'm not saying just me and any artist i i think um you know, maybe even in your case, like, you know, you put out original content and um, yeah, I mean, maybe you don't find out. And I think that the larger our following becomes, the more that likely is going to happen because there's more eyes, you know, on, on the content. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know it's, yeah, but thank you for the inspiration in that sort of sense, because um, I'm, mm. I'm developing a new aspect of, of the Mojo Mecca, which is an app. So um, this is going. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Congrats. That's like a big deal for me. <laughs> so daunting. <laughs> well, yeah, it's felt a lot more easeful than I ever thought because it's come quite naturally in the last few months. And um, mm. yeah, I haven't launched it yet, but it's kind of, you know, I've got a few people on there just testing it out and giving me some feedback and um, this sort of thing. but. Yeah, it's interesting for me because the Mojo Mecca has always felt like a hub, like not, not as much about me and everything that I'm doing. It's more of a connective space between different people's stories and practices and medicine, you know, and, and, and art too. Obviously, it's really heavily focused on like creative growth and um, creative sharing, where, whether it be through, you know, visual art or photography, videography, poetry, um, writing, all of these different aspects of art so it's yeah it's 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 going to kind of act in that similar way i guess of being like a meeting place for for sharing um uh but it's also going to be yeah it, it's i think my intention is 
quite similar to what you just said in a way of like Instagram and, and these other platforms have become, it's very easy to just continually like repost other people's stuff and, um, you know, recirculate all these different ideas that you didn't personally come up with. But I think this app, it's going to be, it's going to act quite so and function quite similar to Instagram, but it's going to be um, really just about like original content um, mm. and sharing your own, it's going to kind of act in a bit of a journal sort of sense. I think that's the sort of energy that I'm feeling to like bring through. It's kind of like crystallizing as I go, to be honest. It's like I had the I idea that it's kind of coming through more and more as I kind of uh, sit with it. Um, but yeah, I definitely, yeah, it, it's, it's going to have to be like a lot more focused on original content and um, kind of sharing from that place, like, um, and also encouraging people to create and share their own, um, their own things. It's so healing to create. And I think we're fixated in this culture that what we create must be perfect, whatever perfect means. But when we create, all it is, is just an act of seeing yourself. And I mean, I think how many of us actually see ourselves, like really see ourselves? It's, it's super vulnerable and it's also super empowering. Um, and I would say that, yeah, like a lot of times we fear failure, but I think a lot of times we also just fear our own power. So by you inviting people to and inspiring people to create, I think, oh gosh, that's, it's just so healing. I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thanks for the, for the confirmation too. I think through your words, I really, it, yeah, it also helped me to kind of crystallize like what, what that intention was and, and also the importance of it because yeah, like you said, it's, it's, we've just kind of become, it's become normalized to just continually like circulate other people's work and perhaps not credit it properly and this sort of thing. But I think that the invitation is to, yeah, we're all kind of feeling a little bit. I know I definitely am a bit of a disheartening or just the overwhelm really with, with this, these online spaces and what is shared and what is continually like, you know, it's just really, really an overwhelming amount of information <laughs> that mm -hmm. not, you know, probably not sourced or credited properly and, and you just receive it all and you don't know what's truth and what's fiction anymore. Right. Just totally. <laughs> especially in this age, like 2020 has just been like wild and you just read yes. so much intense stuff. And it's, it's really overwhelming for the nervous system. I've found like, it's just, Oh, like every day it feels like there's something new that's been uncovered or something new to, to worry about or to protest for it's it's everything's really quickening i'd love to hear your perspective on like on this year and and um yeah everything that's that's gone down so far about obviously health about race about um capitalism there's just there's so much really than this year <laughs> yeah there's been i the way i've been releasing 2020 is it's a portal year so those who wish to step through the portal to uh, to rebuild um, and create a place that's more just and more humane and, and more sustainable, um, they can. And there are, of course, a lot of people also, um, just through this idea of polarity, are kicking and screaming. 
and they're not walk they're not wanting to walk through that portal they want things to stay the same and um i think it's pretty self-explanatory in terms of what will happen if you don't step through the portal it's that things won't change um in those places where uh those who are really you know digging their heels in um and i think the people who are willing to uh you know like i admire how just now you've said that something i said was provoking for you but you were receptive and by being receptive you've reached a, a different space. And also it's provided confirmation for your, you know, the app that you're allowed, that, that you're just about to release to the world. I mean, how beautiful and magical is that? Um, however, you, you could have also responded the other way. You could have been like, F you Mimi, here are all the reasons why you're wrong. Um, and start waving, you know, whatever flag that you want to wave. Um, and, and that would have been fine, but I think it would have robbed you of that new perspective and robbed you of this, this possibility to be organic and to evolve. So I think, you know, looking at 2020, it's very clear what is happening. Um, I think 2021, uh, and I do think 2020, there's going to be more things that are going to come up. I, I definitely don't feel that the, uh, you know, referring to, uh, you know, tarot, that tower has not fallen over yet. Not totally. It's just starting to. So the tower card is definitely still happening. Um, but of course, after the tower, the repairs can start taking place. And um, I'm always hopeful because that's when the sun and the moon and, and sorry, the star and then the moon and the sun show up, right? This idea of healing and rest and pause and then intuition surfacing again and then showing up fully so yeah it's been i it's it's been a very difficult year and you know it's been difficult even for people who are just simply observing what's happening they might not even be in it but it's been difficult uh, and it should be difficult because it means you're doing the work if it's not difficult, if it's just been like, yeah, I can just turn this off, I can turn the news off when I want to and walk away and don't have to talk about these things, think about these things anymore, that's when, you know, maybe there's some work that can be further done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I definitely feel with, with what you said, obviously in relation to um, even this conversation, like that it's just, it's definitely a process of, um, reworking and, and humbling yourself in, in maybe, you know, some blind spots that you had some areas that maybe you weren't completely aware of and just being open to new perspectives. I feel like that's been a huge, huge theme of this year. And, um, but also, like you said, it's not about like, <laughs> I mean, obviously we're going to get riled up and we're going to like feel passionate and stuff like that about, about this change that needs to happen, but it's not coming from the energy of like, oh, you're bad, like, you know, just squashing the opposition. You know, I'm saying that in inverted commas because mm. obviously, like, you know, it's, it's you're never going to solve anything with, like, the us and them <laughs> sort of right. mentality either, which, you know, and I think a lot of us, I mean, we're, we're confused, really. I mean, there's just, there's mm. so much coming at us. And, like, like I said, it's just very overwhelming and um, people just, 
yeah, tend to kind of act, act out from that place and, and try and seek out answers. And it seems like there's so many different answers and possibilities of why everything is happening and, you know, what it all means. And like you said, to kind of to come back to the beginning of this conversation, like um, that it doesn't even necessarily matter what it means <laughs> because, um, you know, that, like you said, it's very, uh, egocentric or like human centric me, 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 like, what is this, you know, when, when right. it's more about that kind of bigger picture of just like, well, yeah, this is just something that's happening right now. And it's part of the unfolding and it's part of, you know, the mystery of, of being on this planet. And we really don't know so many things and we never really will know. And that's just part of like the magic of, of being on this planet. And mm, truly is it's, yeah, it's, I, I feel that um it's, it's a bit of a paradox, right? Like when you feel that you finally know, that's when you realize you don't know. <laughs> um, it's, it's that, that paradox of the, the sacred fool, right? Like the fool is all wise by being a fool, but then like, it's super, humbling um and yeah for many of us uh especially for those who are addicted to perfection and i'm not blaming those who are addicted to perfection there's a reason why they're perfectionists right like it's because the system made them that way like how else do you survive in this place but you know it's not serving them it, it takes a lot of joy um out of one's life when they are striving 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 it's exhausting um, and they don't get to see themselves and meet themselves as who they are. And yeah, eventually they really will, will kill you. Um, trying to be perfect, trying to be anything other than who you are. Um, and I think there's like a real sense of liberation when we can say, I don't know, you know, I can still engage. I can still be, I'll give you an example. I was out with my younger son. We were on a bike ride it's it's summer where we are so there's these beautiful fields of wildflowers and there's also dandelions that have gone to seed and they look like those seed orbs you know the ones that you pick and you know blow right like the ones that you make a wish on yeah so so my little like my my, my little one he winds up seeing you know this big beautiful field of wildflowers and these uh, dandelion orbs so he gets off his bike and runs and the, the wildflowers are like nearly up to his waist and uh, he just picks a couple of the dandelions and he pauses and starts making a, a few wishes and, um, and it's, it's such a joy to watch him do this as anyone you know with with children watching them just being super spontaneous and being like just intuitively led to do these fun uh open-hearted things and then at one point um he and i both noticed that the the sky which had clouds started to sort of that the clouds started to part um almost like lion king style where like you hear you know a voice from the sky sort of like that um, but in this case, uh, the, the clouds parted, but there was still like this happy face made of clouds in the sky. And he, he notices it. I notice it too. And he, he, he points it out to me. He's like, oh, look, mama, I feel like the ancestors are like saying hi. And I look up and I also really felt that. And I said, yeah. And he's like, was it my ancestors or your ancestors? And I looked at him, I'm like, we have the same ancestors. And he looked at me 
you know, big eyes, you know, wondrous mom said, what, what are the chances of that? And I just started laughing and I was like, honestly, I haven't done a very good job explaining what an ancestor is <laughs> to him. And, and then after I was like, well, there is a chance that, you know, he may have been like referring to like my partner's ancestors. So that, those lines, but, but the funny part was just this, he, he didn't have to know. He didn't have to know the whole, the full idea of what an ancestor meant to enjoy the process of the cloud smiling. And I think that was such a reminder for me is like, as an adult, we're so, I don't know, we just wanna know. We wanna know, we wanna control, we wanna, we wanna be able to predict when, when this is going to happen, you know. And there's nothing wrong with knowing. It's helpful to know, it's helpful to make plans. However, when our whole lives are wrapped around just that, um, and it's become exclusive to uh, spontaneity and play and um, being able to pivot, um, then I wonder, are we really fully living um, in the way that we're meant to? Um, I don't think so. Um, and so, yeah, like I, I feel like I'm constantly learning from my children because they, 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 know, they, they don't mind not knowing. Um, in fact, it doesn't seem to, have, to stop them from having fun. Um, and yeah, I could definitely use more of that. Yeah, I really like what you said about like the opportunity, especially this year, um, is definitely to, to be able to adapt and be able to pivot. And I think like globally, we're really experiencing this and, and people whose lives have been like super rigid and super like in one, you know, particular job or system or something like that, like they have to really be able to adapt. I mean, there's no other option really, but I think that's the invitation right. generally um, is just to develop a lifestyle where it is a bit more, you know, free and adaptable and um, that you are that way within your life too and, and not as rigid to, to anything really. I mean, I think even, even within the kind of spiritual scenes or, you know, woke, <laughs> the woke culture <laughs> sort of thing, like it's the same thing is like, as you know, I don't know, there's, there's so much to unpack in that sort of realm too, because it's like still implementing the same like rigidity and structure and like us and them thing, but it's just within totally. spiritual like context or um, external um, appearance. <laughs> totally. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, that's something that's definitely been on my mind um, and on my feed <laughs> talking about that too mm -hmm. what have people's responses been like in kind of speaking more openly about that i would say it's largely um been um really receptive and uh and yeah like individuals even offline um or if not like publicly online maybe privately online um have really shared how uh they they have shared like wow you know that uh that triggered me and then um, and the, but then I, I decided to lean into the trigger and, and listen and, and realize, yeah, like, like you had said, you know, like we, we all have blind spots. Me being able to share, I think it's also been really great as a way for me to see myself because I definitely have, um, you know, being, you know, a visible minority, being female, um, there has been you know, things that have happened throughout my life. And now, and I've been talking about these things for, for a, like, you know, for years now, but 
I feel like right now the, the climate is ripe to really talk about it because people are listening. And of course, there's always the occasional one who is not quite ready and, you know, they have their defense mechanism set up or they want to twist my words and say I said something else, even though I didn't. Um, and you can really see how they have a real need to show me how right they are um, and how wrong I am. And, you know, I think that's when I just have to know when to disengage, not because uh, I, I want to, you know, not, not because I'm afraid or, or anything like that, um, but because it's just not worthwhile. Um, a, I'm not an anti-racist educator. Um, so when I talk about these things, all it is, is my observations as a woman of color um, because I actually have like a nine to five job, right? Like this is in addition. Um, and then just knowing that it's, it's okay to, to come out, share, um, and know that uh, those who are ready to hear will hear and those who are not will respond the way they do. But then to also know that that may not be where they are always going to be. Maybe I planted a seed, maybe something will happen down the line where they will be receptive. And if not, that doesn't matter because I'm not responsible for them. I'm responsible to my own um, understanding of ethics. And by me stating you know, my, uh, you know, my truths um, and the amount of response I've received from other East Asian women and other East Asian men and other East Asian non-binary folk, who have been coming up and said, wow, like you said it so clearly, or you said something I've always wanted to say, but I really felt I would be ostracized because, uh, you know, like my employer's white or whatever, so I have to be careful what I share online, these kind of things. I don't have an employer. Um, so I recognize I have immense uh, privilege there, um, but also immense responsibility. And so I choose to act responsibly by saying, because I don't have to worry about those things, um, let, let me state these things. And yeah, and you know, I will say sometimes it is absolutely exhausting. Um, and other times um, it's really joyous and healing to be able to say, yeah, like this is actually what's happening. And you know, I, I, it's, it's, it's meant to be one, one drop in that ocean because other people are also adding their drops. Um, and so knowing that hopefully collectively we can start working together and start seeing each other in a way that maybe we weren't ready before. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I do feel like there is definitely an opening um, in this time, in this kind of wild year, but it has been a really, really beautiful opening to have these, these conversations that perhaps, you know, a lot of people internally um, want to, like you said, they want to, um, you know, share these things or they want to express these, these, these prejudices and these ways that like, um, society is. Um, so I think it's really, really beautiful and really important that we are having these conversations and that these, that people are being heard <laughs> really that like so many, um, different voices are being heard because the way that things have been done is just completely wrong. And, um, I just think, yeah, it's a we're in a beautiful time of opening and and um uh just coming to to a wider range of opinions views um yeah all of that but i think obviously we're just at the beginning stages of it and nothing's going to be completely 
figured out yet and there's still kind of mm. obviously always going to be an oppositional force to that and um, that's always going to be something to to navigate and um, I would love to just kind of as as we kind of like wrap up to uh, like I'm just curious how you see um, perhaps like the darker forces or darker energies um, that kind of perhaps reveal themselves in in these sort of like times or um I, I don't know how to really word it but like how how do you kind of see those like oppositional like um forces I think for me the most constructive way is to understand that we all contain aspects of these forces so um an example would be if I think oh my gosh, I'm so against patriarchy. I'm so against, you know, um, the institution acting as an authority on my behalf. Um, I'm so sick of doctors saying they know more about my health than I know about what's actually happening in my body to a certain degree. I mean, obviously they have more medical training, so I, I, I need them, right, for that. But in terms of when I explain what's happening, I don't want to be uh, mansplained or uh, medical spine um, in a way where I feel diminished or um, you know shut down but I need to do that even in my own life so if my child is complaining about a stomach ache I have to really honor that and of course I have to do that with discernment so if they're having a stomach ache every single time I ask them to eat their broccoli that's a different story right but if they're having a stomach ache I need to pause and really listen and notice the other cues and really honor what they're saying rather than saying that parent knows best, right? And let's say if it is always around broccoli, maybe I need to tune into that and have a conversation with my child and really model all the things that I say I'm against in my own life. I think as long as we think the problem is out there, we're not going to change anything because it has to start in here, like inside ourselves. And because we've all been groomed and primed to exist in the kind of world that we live in. We all contain the world inside of us. So to say that the dark stuff is out there as if it's someone else's problem, as if it's, let's say, you know, a politician's problem or, or you know, like a leader of a country or whatever, mm, that's, that's, that's not really what's going to be constructive because that it tends to take the responsibility off of our own shoulders and puts all blame on someone else. But we have to ask ourselves, like, if we all criticize a country uh, for their leader, well, the country, let's just refer this to those uh, democratic countries, they voted by majority for that leader to step in. So it's also on the hands of the people. Um, and that is where we really need to examine as individuals, because I don't think collective change can happen without individual change. Yeah, completely. I really, yeah, I think I just really needed to hear that too, because yeah, it's it, it, like you say, it's a lot easier to, to kind of take that us and them mentality and to think, mm -hmm. that, you know, the enemy is out there, but it, there's right, a right. <laughs> always yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's uncomfortable. Like, I mean, trust me, there are times where like, for instance, I'll like, like I'm, I'm so like I, for me, I've always been wanting to make sure that my kids are critical thinkers and can articulate 
their needs. And then when they do that and they're quote unquote in opposition of what I've asked them to do, I'm like, ah, dang it. Why did I teach you to be so critical? Like (laughs) you just spotted all my own bullshit, all my own hypocrisy. And now you're naming it and saying it to my face. And it's like, it's uncomfortable being the parent hearing my 12 year old telling me the truth that I actually don't really want to hear. So yeah, but like, but my child's right. I've got, I've got to look at my, you know, reflection in the mirror because this is how you show up in the world um, to be positive and to be actively dismantling the stuff that's out there because it's here, right here in my own home. Yeah. um, I think just, I, I guess to kind of tie in your path and like your work, it's just, it's so much about like accessing um, your own like intuitive space where you, where you do know how is best to like walk and be and um, like, what is your own intuitive truth? I think like that's really the only way we're going to kind of move forward is, is if people like really continue to feel into that, like within themselves um, and then walk and act and communicate in that way in the world, because it's very easy to jump on bandwagons and you know causes and things mm-hmm. like this but mm-hmm. it and and there is so many causes out there too it's like you know especially within you know what we see on social media it's like we said it's very overwhelming and um like what do i innately like really really care about you know um being an activist towards and um yeah uh, there's so much more obviously that we can unpack within that realm but I think that's a really like potent um message that you share is is to just continue to look to your in your own within your own home within your own heart um about like um what is what is truth for you and and how how can you best come alive I guess within yourself so then you can be be the change you know like like is always said be the change um that you do want to see and um yeah, I really love that that you kind of pulled it away from the the oppositional forces um, mentality and kind of yeah, like the, there is light and dark, or there's always going to exist light and dark within this um, dualistic <laughs> um, reality that we're on in this planet. I mean, we see it in the natural world, we see it in the human world. It's always going to be there. But um, yeah, so I really really appreciated your perspective on that. Thank you. So for people who are curious about your work and um, would like to connect deeper, can you just kind of, yeah, just, just share a bit about how they can connect with you. I know your, your website has a lot of information on there, so I'm sure that they can just go to there and I'll share all the links obviously, but if you want to share anything else um, to kind of wrap it up about how people can um, engage with you and, and your services. Mm, of course. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> echoing what you said, uh, my website, uh, which is shopceremony.com. Ceremony is spelled with an I-E at the end, but then also on Instagram. I, I mean, I do post uh, a fair amount um, and it's, it's like, it, I don't have a, you know, like social media manager. It's, I, I run it um, and I, I write and actually none of it is uh, scheduled. So like, I, you know, I don't, um, I don't have an account with, let's say, Hootsuite or whatever. Um, I yeah, when I feel led, I will post. Um, so it's very organic, um, and yeah, yeah, come, you know, come join that that community. Say hi. I would love to hear from you know any of you who felt that my work is 
aligned with where you are. And yeah, um, and the website, of course, includes everything we've talked about. And to a certain degree, on Instagram, you go into the bio link, um, it'll direct uh, uh, the individual to wherever it is that they may be interested in. Down the road, I mean, right now, not with COVID, but you know, I do um, do offer retreats, but probably not this year, and, and maybe not even next year. We, you know, it's hard to say. But uh, I mean, that's another way where you know, I can work with people face to face. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be extra potent when we're able to. <laughs> to I know. I mean, I get excited just going to the farmer's market. Like, I'm just, I don't know why I'm so excited. It's picking up like spinach. But, <laughs> uh, but I am very excited. So yeah, it's true. I mean, you know, this thing, we miss each other. We, we, we say we don't need each other, right? Like, you know, we, we kind of go through these phases where we're so hyper-individualistic. But it's like, actually, we do. We need people. I think, yeah, this has definitely been a really beautiful reminder of that, that we are like community-centered beings. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, we, when people are, are forced to, to be alone and isolated, they go crazy. I mean, you know, like we, we need to be in relationship. I mean, like you have kind of said through this whole thing, like, you know, even if it isn't with humans, like to really continue to develop that relationship to all of life, to all of the elements and to all of the plants and beings that, that make up this, this beautiful planet and beyond. <laughs> so mm -hmm. I think, um, yeah. do you have a kind of a last message, I guess, for people before we kind of, um, yeah, close out this conversation, I guess, um, about um, developing uh, a deeper relationship to to everything <laughs> you know how about a ritual just like a simple ritual yeah for sure okay so um this will be a ritual bath and you know if most of your li listeners are uh are in you know deep winter right now um then maybe a bath is like extra potent um I'm going to share uh, a simple ritual with uh, two plants. Um, the first plant is rosemary. And rosemary is that plant that relates to what I just talked about earlier, this idea of remembrance. Remembrance as in calling back the part that has been cut off um, and reattaching, reinviting, um, welcoming home that part that has been relegated to, you know, to the, the dark alleys of your spirit, essentially. So that's what rosemary will do. Um, and also what's amazing about rosemary is that she is highly protective and she's protective towards energies um, that are outside of your aura, but then also energies within. So that, you know, that really mean critical voice, working with rosemary will help you uh, begin um, saying no to that mean critical voice. That's part one. Part two, the other plant is lemon. And lemon is great at helping one see the bigger picture and not get stuck in the minutiae, which can really trip us over sometimes. Uh, something about lemon is it's, it's, it helps see the future, but there's like a, a sense of optimism and empowerment at the same time. So it's not just like wishful thinking, big, big picture seeing, it's, it's being critical, but it's also being constructive. Now, when the two are put together, um, and this is what I've been recommending to clients, is, you know, things are starting to fall down, right? So we, we know that 2020 has brought a lot of stuff to the surface. 
um, things are uh, to a certain degree being actively uh, and critically looked at um, in a way that it hasn't before as, uh, you know, collectively. Um, of course, all this stuff has been happening for quite some time uh, in countercultures, but finally made it into the media uh, and finally made it in a mass, mass global way. So as we begin to rebuild and to reimagine how things could look like, this is when rosemary and lemon are such great plants to work with. So here's a simple ritual. You take half a cup of sea salt. It has to be unprocessed salt, so kosher salt or Himalayan pink salt, but not table salt. Um, so half a cup, put in a bowl and add, if you are going to, you have two options, you can use uh, fresh uh, plant clippings. So you could take some fresh rosemary and you know, a handful and just sort of break it up and mix it into the salt. And you can take a lemon, slice it up and squeeze some of the juice. Um, you can remove the seeds and then even uh, add the rind in and mix it into with the salt. So that's one option. The other option is to use essential oils instead. And if it's with essential oils, it would be seven drops total. Doesn't matter how many drops of lemon and how many drops of rosemary, it just has to add up to seven. And mix that together and set it on your bathroom counter, light a candle and draw a bath. Now, if you don't have a bathtub, that's okay. What you can do instead is have a basin that is large enough to soak your feet in and just cut that recipe by anywhere between a third to a half um, and then do that proportionately. So anyway, you dry your bath and when the bath is drawn, then you add everything to it and then just soak in the bath for 15 to 20 minutes. And at that time, just offer a simple prayer to the two plants. And you can ask something as simple as what needs to be made and remade. Everything worthwhile, everything beautiful needs to go through that process of making and remaking. If you think about the earth shifting through cycles, right? Um, that's an act of making and remaking. So essentially that's what you're doing in the bath. And just call those plants to come help you. And they will show up maybe not right away, but they will. And then after you would just, uh, you know, drain the bath and if there's any um, plant matter that you need to clean up, then go ahead and clean it up, but do it in a way where you're really offering gratitude rather than seeing it as like a chore. Um, and then if you feel, you know, led, you can um, move the candle into a different area of your home and maybe meditate. But if not, you can just simply blow out the candle and the ritual's done. Now, just make sure that if you do work with lemon um, either way, uh, as essential oil or as the fresh juice, it does contain phototoxic agents. So it means that you cannot, uh, you know, your skin will absorb it. So if you um, expose your skin um, to UV rays, your skin will burn. So it's really important that this ritual is done um, you know, around a time where you expect to be home indoors for an extended period of time for eight hours, because if you have lemon or any other citrus oil really on your skin, um, it is active for up to eight hours. So just be mindful of that um, if you do engage with this ritual. And it's simple, it's powerful, um, and yeah, and go, you know, step into it with, with that sense of openness and receptivity. 
Yeah, it seems like a beautiful one to do um, at night. Obviously, you can just like mm -hmm. bath and then go straight into to bed and to just kind of, yeah, um, drift into that meditative space. And, and also mm -hmm. so beautiful and simple too, because obviously, um, yeah, to get lemon and to get rosemary, it's pretty um, easy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And that's how I like to work. Yeah, I like to work with plants that are fairly common yeah. because they also offer healing. Um, you know, this idea that only exotic plants that are in a land far, far away, that's not really true. I mean, yeah, those ones are healing too, but the ones right here, accessible at the supermarket, those, those ones are good as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you so much for that. And thank you just generally for this conversation. It's been um yeah just so so affirmative uh, for me and and just deeply inspiring too and um i love the way that you articulate um this sort of work and um exploration i just love the lens that that you see um the world in so thank you again for um yeah for everything for all of your sharing and um insight and um, yeah, I hope everyone that's listening to this just really received everything that they needed from, um, and if they feel called that they'll just naturally engage with you and, and, and your work. So yeah, thank you again. Mm, I loved our conversation. Thank you so much for hosting and for having me.